in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. And he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And what a great place to be is wherever Jesus is at. Thankfully, as born-again Christians, we can't be where he's not. In the Old Testament, you went to the temple to find God. In the New Testament, you are the temple. Wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing sick, one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And for a minute I want to emphasize some things about these four men who brought their friend to Jesus Christ. And I will do it under the heading... Making a Difference, which is the name of your conference this week. If you want to make a difference in the lives of people, it's not about your personality. It's not about how flashy you are. It's not about how intellectual you are. And in a lot of ways, it's not about how much knowledge you've acquired. You personally cannot make the difference in anybody else's life, except but for one thing. You can bring them into contact with Jesus Christ. And so your life has got to be about Christ. And you've got to bring Christ into the lives of the people you meet for Jesus Christ to be able to make a difference for them. Instead of you worrying about you trying to make an impact, just give up on that. And realize if you will get a man into the presence of Jesus Christ through the Word of God, that Jesus Christ never fails to make an impact. That's what ministry is all about, is getting Christ to the people that need Christ or getting the people that need Christ to Him. It's bringing that divine appointment about because you're the instrument of God to do the job to get that person into God's presence. And the first thing I'll say about these men, I want to say here in verse 3, says, And they came unto Him bringing. They came unto Him bringing. Yesterday I preached on compassion for a long time. And this morning I want to go back to that and say the first thing about these men that I noticed is they cared. It's a heart matter. Ministry is about people. It's not about offices. It's not about computers. It's not about degrees. It's not about any of those surface things. Ministry is people. If you're going to do any good at all for anybody in this world, you're going to have to love somebody. Somebody has got to mean enough to you for you to give your life to help them get to Jesus Christ. This man had the palsy. I want to bring up the word relationship for just a moment. Who has a relationship with a paralytic? Who cares? Can't go anywhere with you. Can't do anything with you. He can't do anything for you. He can't do anything in return for your efforts for him. So you're dealing with four men here who cared about somebody who could do nothing for them. That's the purest kind of care. In fact, that is the actual definition of the word agape, to give yourself on the behalf of another. Was this their brother? Was this their cousin? Was it just a friend in the community? Who was this man to them? 
I don't know the specific relationship, but I can tell you whatever the relationship was, it was enough to motivate them to give their lives on this particular day to get this man to Jesus Christ. Life is about relationships. And you need to learn to build them with lost people. If all you do is hang out with people that are exactly like you, well, they're already saved. They already know the Lord. Now, you need those relationships to sharpen you. And I'm not saying go be best friends with lost people so that you can sin with them. But you've got to be a friend to sinners. You've got to make contacts, build relationships, and care enough about somebody that you can do something for their life that other people do not care to do, and that's get them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are deceived into believing that America is over-evangelized, and that's a lie. America, in a lot of ways, is over-religioned. And in some places, it is over-churched. But it is not over-evangelized. People will say, on driving here, I passed 97 churches. Yeah, you passed 97 buildings with steeples on them. That's meaningless. What matters is what's setting in those pews and what do they do. And I'm telling you, it is very unlikely that in those churches you pass is anybody who cares enough to pour their life into a lost man. Evangelism has gone by the wayside. It's been turned away from. It's actually even been mocked by people. There are people you can use the word soul winner or soul winning. Well, I don't like that terminology. Frankly, I don't care what terminology you like, man. Call it whatever you want. Call it evangelism. Call it witnessing. But do it. Do something. And don't just sit around criticizing those who've tried. I want to ask you about your relationships this morning. Who are you close enough to that you can get to Christ? Do you have lost parents at home? If you're saved by the grace of God and your mama and your daddy is lost, your heart ought to be broke for them. You ought to want to get them to Jesus Christ. If you've got brothers and sisters that are lost, you ought to be heartbroken that they could die at any moment and go to a devil's hell and you ought to be trying to have a relationship with your brother and sister to get them to Jesus Christ. I can remember the first time I got up in the nerve to witness to my dad. My dad was a man's man and a rough man. I was afraid of him. And uh, you just have to pardon the illustration. I grew up pretty rough in East Tennessee and I'd been saved and I was in the tobacco patch helping my dad cut tobacco and I would always cut and he would be behind me spudding which means putting it on a stick. And uh, the Lord kept saying, witness to your dad, talk to your dad. I was scared to death. But I wanted my daddy to be saved. And uh, finally I asked my dad about his soul. He didn't get mad. He didn't get angry. We just talked about it for a little while. I ended up coming to Bible college here in one weekend Jerry Mullendor, the pastor at my church back home, was having a special meeting with an evangelist. And I got my mom and dad to go. And I went home to be with them that weekend, went to church with them. J. Harold Smith got up and preached on God's three deadlines. My daddy walked the aisle, got saved and lived for God 
from then on right down to his last day when God called me to preach. My dad was still lost. We were in the mountains over in North Carolina. We were bear hunting. We was coming out of the mountains. I was afraid to tell him. And I thought, I've got to tell Dad. I said, finally, I looked at him. I said, Dad, I said, listen. I said, tomorrow, I'm going to tell the church God's called me to preach. He looked at me and he said, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. That was it. He man, a few words. And uh, the next morning, I stood up in front of the little church over there in the mountains that I was a part of. And I, when I told them God called me to preach, my daddy was sitting in the aisle. He stood up, walked down, lost man. Put his arms around my neck, was crying. I don't think I'd ever seen him cry. Who are you close enough to? You got uncles and aunts. I tell you something, young people. You'll never love somebody across the water if you don't love somebody here. If you don't have a heart for your own mother and your own father and your own brother and your own sister and your own neighbor, your own state. When I first started trying to raise support to plant churches in America, I had pastors that wouldn't even answer my phone call. I remember calling a church one time. I'd learned if I told them I was on deputation to plant a church out west, they wouldn't even talk to me. So I called a church. It was a little bit tricky. I apologize. (laughs) The secretary answered the phone. Here's the key to deputation. Build a relationship with the secretary. You'll get support. (laughs) That's who gets your support from. And the secretary answered the phone. I asked for the pastor. I said, this is Tracy Jones. I'm a youth pastor at Great Hope Baptist Church. Can I speak to the pastor? She said, oh, yes, sir. She said, I'll get him here in just a moment. A few minutes, she came back on the phone. She said, are you a missionary? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, he's unavailable. If you're unavailable to missionaries, man, you're unavailable. Huh? I had to go out and purposely find preachers who cared about the United States of America, and that was a shame. I'm 100% for missions in all places. The world's in such bad shape, you can hardly start a church in the wrong place. But for a long time, church planting in the States was not considered important. And now look what shape we're in. I think the tide has turned on that sum. But I'd find those pastors and build relationships with them and try to get my support raised. And when I bring that up under this idea of care and love for this reason, I don't see how you can not care about your own people and then tell me you care about other people. You mean to tell me that there is a borough in New York that's without a gospel preaching church and you won't help a man get there and plant a church, but you will do the same thing overseas somewhere with people outside of your own country? I find that to be completely hypocritical. In fact, I don't believe it. These men had a care for this man. They had a relationship with him. And I just want to ask you this morning, who are you close enough to to get to Christ? In the same text, I want you to notice it says this. They come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. 
that word born. It means to lift up, to pull up off the ground. They cared, and number two, they labored. Here's that four-letter word we all dread, work. So Brother Tracy, describe ministry to me in one word. My first word would be Christ. My second word would be joy, because I've had the time of my life. I'm so blessed to be able to serve God. I'd hate to be doing anything else. And my next word would be work. That's what ministry is. When you look in the scripture, the word work is found in one form or in one context or another 689 times in the Bible, 212 times in the New Testament. The word labor is in the scriptures 128 times and 46 times in the New Testament. God thinks a lot of work. The first two chapters of Genesis begin with his work. And missions is labor, it's work. It is getting up off your backside and getting out into the streets and in the lives of other people and working and working and working and working. If you don't have hardly any gifts or have any natural abilities, you do, by the way, but if you've convinced yourself you don't, there's one thing you can do, you can work. You might not be able to preach your way off a paper bag. You might not be able to sing a lick. But you can do one thing is you can be the hardest working pastor in your community. Now I hate to give this testimony to you, but I'm going to. I've got a next door neighbor on the road which I live. It's a church of God pastor. Now him and I do not agree doctrinally. We don't have church services together. We don't fellowship around church. But I'll tell you this, he is a worker. It's amazing to watch the old guys probably in his getting close to 70, maybe early 70s. And I tell you, if somebody gets sick, I think he's at the hospital in the parking lot waiting on them to get there in the ambulance. <laughs> it is crazy. I went to see one of my own church men the other day and he'd already been there twice. <laughs> it's insane. And even though I can't agree with him doctrinally, I can respect the fact that the man rolls his sleeves up and gets in the lives of other people. And instead of being jealous of him, it ought to encourage me to work harder and to do more and to go further. It's a shame that a, that a 21-year-old man with a white shirt and a black tie will ride a bicycle eight hours a day and you can't get a Baptist to drive a car. Jehovah's Witnesses will stand in the courthouse in Greene County where I'm at day after day after day trying to pull people in. Working. We're just going to have to outwork some folks. You've got to be willing to get down and get a hold of people and lift them up. Now, the previous man who just came up and talked about the attrition rate of people leaving versus going. It's really simple to me. And I'm, I'm sure there are some exceptions. And I don't want to oversimplify it. But young men, listen to me. One of the reasons we're not getting men to the harder places on the globe is because we are too soft. Now look up here. When Paul in Romans chapter 2 uses the word effeminate, the word effeminate means soft. 
And in particular, it means men who were soft enough that they liked the uh, softer type clothing. They were more concerned about how they looked and their, the softness of their clothing and their slickness and smoothness than being men. Possibly the greatest generation of American missionaries happened just right after World War II. There's a reason for that. The reason is because those men, before they went to war, grew up on farms. They didn't get hard when they got inside the military. They were hard when they went to the military. The powers that sought to bring freedom down in the world found out that when you make enough old American farm boys mad, they'll come and whip your rear end. And they're hard enough and tough enough to do it. In the American Revolution, there's a King's Mountain here. The people who turned the American Revolution in the favor of that came from East Tennessee. They walked here on foot. They're called the -the over-the-mountain men. They walked over here in their buckskins and in their ragtags with their muskets and defeated the greatest army on earth and turned the American Revolution My great ex, like seven times, Grandfather Robert Severe was one of them. His brother John Severe became the governor. My grandfather fought at Kings Mountain and died nine days later wounded walking home on foot. This country was built and the world was evangelized by men who were rock hard. We don't need easier ministries. We need harder men. Jesus Christ said, endure hardness. Let me ask you a question. If we had a lost man who was a paralytic that had to be physically carried for miles to a home, taken up on a roof, have the roof tore up and put down through the roof, where would we find four independent Baptist preachers that had the stamina to do it? We'd have to hire somebody. We'd all be gasping for breath. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 2,000 years of church history prior to the modern age, if you were not rock hard, you couldn't serve Jesus Christ. You were mentally tough, spiritually tough, and physically tough. Paul said physical exercise or bodily exercise profits little. They didn't have to go to the gym. They walked everywhere they went. They could do it mile after mile after mile after mile in persecution and in imprisonment and in stripes and in, and in, and in <coughs> being shipwrecked because these men were rock hard and now we're soft like donuts. Now listen to me, boys. Now listen, you can laugh and I'm dead serious. Ministry itself for 2,000 years of church history required you to be rock hard. Ministry now has been taken over by people who are primarily office workers and bookworms. So the harder places of the earth 
go without missionaries because there simply are no men who are fit for the job. They can't do it. They can barely walk up to the pulpit. Our churches are full of effeminate boys. And now they're becoming homosexuals. Look with me in verse 3 again. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of, what's the numerical word there? For. They cared, they labored, and here they labored together. I don't have time to do it, but I'd love to take one of the young guys today and have him lay in the floor limp and have one guy try to pick him up and get him up on the roof of the building. Now, I understand the, the, the roof structures and architecture was different in the New Testament era, and maybe the roof was level with the ground and all that, but still a job to do. But it's a difficult job for one man to do. Maybe impossible. You add a second guy to the, to the task, it gets a little easier. You add a third guy to the task, a little easier. A fourth guy to the task, now it's possible, it's doable. I believe in separation based on Bible principles. I don't believe in compromise, and I don't believe in fellowship with darkness. But there are some pretty good folks in the world, believe it or not. There are some people who love souls and want to see people saved just like you that would work with you if you weren't so obstinate. Let me ask you something. Do you want to be a man who gets people to Christ, or do you want to be a hero? It really shouldn't matter to you about getting any credit. What really ought to matter is how can we most effectively get these people to Jesus Christ and then give Him the credit. You need pastors who will work with missionaries, who will work with other missionaries, who will work with other missionaries. This brother mentioned the fact that so many missionaries leave the field because of interpersonal problems. Well, I'll tell you, that's going to work out real good for you at the judgment seat of Christ. I'd like to hear you explain to Jesus how your feelings were hurt so badly by your fellow missionary that you just let a whole area die and go to hell because your feelings were hurt. How about getting over hurt feelings and stupid nonsense and realizing that this is a, not a game we're playing. This is life and death and people are dying and going to hell and we're worried about petty, ridiculous nonsense. It's insane to me. Every one of you boys ought to be able to work together on anything. And you ought to be able to get along and the girls ought to be able to get along because you ought to love each other the way Christ loves you. And if something happens, you ought to learn to forgive each other You ought to care more about lost men than you do taking any credit. Get together. Form a team. Get some stuff done. And don't worry about who gets any credit for it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Labor together. Learn to work and be a team and get some more things accomplished than is without that. Look with me in verse (coughs) 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... There's an obstacle called a crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. There's another obstacle, a roof. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. They cared, they labored, they labored together, and they persisted. And this is so important. 
If you're going to go out and serve the Lord, you're going to run into a lot of obstacles. The devil's pretty much a guess what you're going to do. All the devils, all the demons, they're against what you're going to do. There's going to be some obstinate people in the community that are against what you're going to do. There, believe it or not, there's going to be some Baptists that are against what you're going to do. And what you've got to do is decide that if God calls you to do it, you're going to do it and it, nothing's going to stop you. God wants you to carry this paralytic dude to Jesus Christ and you get there and you can't get through the crowd, then plan B. And if you can't get him that way, you'll do it another way. Because some things just have to be done. The attrition rate of missionaries leaving and missionary going has something to do with not having enough replacements. I agree with that. It also has something to do with the people who are already there just not wanting to be there anymore. Help me now. I'll be real careful here. I'm amazed at how many men want out of the pastorate. I'll take a director job. I'll take a traveling, preaching, pulpit-filling job. I'll do anything to keep preaching but pastor. Because I love to preach, I just don't like people. You know, preaching is the easy part. Preaching is the gravy. The pastoring and working with people and having to deal with their problems and your problems and the problems you have together as a, as a church, that's the hard work. The preaching is the easy thing. Preaching to a God-called preacher ought to be as natural as breathing. But having to love somebody, especially them that don't love you back, that's where it actually gets hard and difficult and real. And the question is, are you going to quit? How are we going to stop a bunch of people from quitting and stopping? <coughs> I really believe this. I just think it's, it has a lot to do with how weak we are as people. Mentally weak, spiritually weak, physically weak, and the least little thing just makes us stop. Other generations worked on farms where if you didn't work that farm, there was no harvest in the fall and you starved. So you couldn't quit or you died. Now we have all the fallback plans. The working without the quitting is the difference. Quitting is the easiest thing in the world. Learn to have some persistence to tackle something difficult and to stay with it no, no matter how difficult it is. Now, I want to make sure I say this. When I talk about toughness, I don't mean you without God. I mean strengthened by God mentally, strengthened by God spiritually, strengthened by God physically. So that you're equipped to do the job and then just not giving up. Persistence is so important <coughs> to stay in there and to work and to work and to work. I just, let me go back to that work just for a moment. I feel sometimes I feel sorry for the girls. Yesterday, <coughs> when I was standing down here, and this is a compliment, <coughs> y'all were shaking my hands. Some of the, <coughs> some of the hardest handshakes I got was from the girls. He said, cool, that's a stout one right there, but she could drive fence posts in the ground. <laughs> when, I, when I married my wife, Martha, I told her, I said, I always wanted a woman big enough that could slam a fence post in the ground without having to dig a hole. <laughs> I 
<laughs> and I married a little old girl from West Virginia. <laughs> Girls, listen to me. Don't marry the flashy boys. Girls pick boys the way people choose horses. They look at their teeth. <laughs> if your number one criteria is that he's cute, you've done him fouled up. I'm just going to mention this one thing, brother. You listen? Look and see if he works. Does he have a job? Does he work a job? And does he pay his bills? If he won't work and he won't pay his bills, don't touch him with a 10-foot pole. I don't care how cute he is. Flashy means nothing. Don't marry the racehorse. Kentucky Derby only lasts about a minute and a half. <laughs> Marry the plow horse. Because he'll be plowing 30 years from now. Same text of scripture. I want you to look at verse 5, or five with me. <coughs> when Jesus saw their faith. That's sort of an interesting twist, by the way. It's almost difficult to explain. Their faith? Come on now. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. They believed. I don't have a lot of advantages in life. But one thing that I believe in with all of my heart is that I believe that Jesus Christ saves. I truly believe that there's no single person on the face of this earth that if they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that they can't be changed. I believe if I can get a drunkard to Christ, God can redeem him. I believe if I get a dope smoker to Christ, God can redeem him. I believe if I can get an adulterer to Christ, God can redeem him. And you have to have total and complete confidence that God can change the lives of the people you love if you're going to make any difference in the world. It's not confidence in you. You're a nobody. You're a zero with the ring rubbed out. You're a mud ball that's been glorified by the grace of God. But Jesus Christ is everything. He has all power in heaven and in earth. And when a sinner believes on Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost moves inside of his body and he gets born again. He's a new creature in Christ Jesus and his life will be different. I don't care how bad your daddy is, how bad your mom is, how bad your brothers are, how bad your children are. Never give up the belief that if you can get them to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ can do the changing. Get them to Christ. Bring them to the Lord. Take Christ to them and watch God do the work. I'll finish just by reading this text, but I'm really done preaching. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies who can forgive sins but God only? There's always going to be critics. Ignore them. Go read the thing that Teddy Roosevelt wrote called It's Not the Critic Who Counts. Critics 
mean nothing to me. Here's a principle I adopted years ago I'll share with you. I don't accept criticism from anybody I wouldn't ask advice from. If, you, if you're not wise enough for me to seek your counsel, I don't want your criticism either. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason these things in your hearts? Well, it is easier to say the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said the sick of the palsy. I say to thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all, and so much that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Your ministry <coughs> may be criticized the way Christ was criticized, but if you'll keep trucking, eventually it'll be vindicated. When you plant a church and you move into a community, and you start from scratch. Everybody in that community knows that basically what you're saying is that there's not a church there worth going to. They're offended by it. Keep preaching. When they criticize you, keep preaching. When they cause trouble for you, keep preaching. When they lie about you, just make sure it's a lie. I'm never worried about the lies people told on me because the truth was a lot worse. Keep preaching. Keep doing your work. Eventually, down the road, if you do the right thing, God will vindicate your ministry. Now, the five things I've mentioned solve some ministry problems. Caring solves the problem of apathy. Laboring solves the problem of laziness. Togetherness solves the problems of inability and jealousy. Persisting solves the problem of quitting. And faith solves the problem of doubting and fear. I'm finished. And I'm going to end this way. Right now in your life, who do you have a close enough relationship that you're trying to win them to Christ? Christ.